This is the beginning of part two of guitar greats that are underrated. So let me start. I'm going to play the next one. And obviously you should know who this is. Mike, I don't know if he would. So excited to hear this. So excited to hear this. I don't know it so far. The name of the song is called Full House. Obviously, you're hearing a lot of horns and other stuff. So let me move forward to. That's a unique tone. Clearly, jazz. Yeah. It's jazz. Listen to that that guitar. That tone is perfect. Yep. That's got to be an open body Gibson something. He has something. That's, oh. that, that is what he likes to play. So let me stop there real quick. Okay. So like I said, the name of the song is Full House. It's by a guitar band leader born John Leslie Montgomery, better known as Wes Montgomery. Okay. As Jason said, he's ranked a mere 82 on the Rolling Stone list. But he is also, without doubt, in my top 10 guitarists of all time. Yeah. He was completely self-taught. He heard a Charlie Christian record in the early 40s and went out. He bought a six-string, and he worked on it day and night. No way. For almost a year. Oh, wow. Could not read a lick of music. But he became the master of a guitarist, louder than so many jazz circles, with all that work that he did. What makes Wes so different, do you know, Jason? No. Why he gets the tone he does? No. He plays on his strum hand entirely with his thumb. He only plays with his he thumb? He only plays with his thumb. So if you ever see- I didn't know that. If you ever watch videos of him, you'll see- <laughs> So Just like you said, he plays an open-bodied Gibson. Yeah. And on the pick guard- he puts all four of his fingers and just, on the edge of the pick guard, just uses his thumb. Holy. He's essentially a bass player with that can move that fast? That can that's, move that fast. Oh, that's weird. That's why. That sounds crazy. Huh? So yeah, that, really. So that's what, gave, that's what gives him his unique tone. And you can hear it's a little more muted, right? That's all his thumb. Oh, come on, Ken. That's the coolest little tidbit I've heard in a long time. In fact, his nickname was simply The Thumb back in the day. What? I mean, he Never is, knew that. So he's flexing that thing up and down all the time. I mean, can you imagine, like, in addition to being a jazz guitar virtuoso, he must have been an awesome thumb wrestler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, you, you can just hear the prowess on that, on that short clip there yeah. of how good he was just moving that thing up and down, strumming. Uh, individual notes hitting the octaves up, up like, like with the upstroke of his thumb. Um, all right, now, unlike Jason, I can't get up here and play. I don't know as much about <laughs> theory. What I do, and I'm sure if, if you guys are listening a lot, I do like to tell a story every now and then. So before I play the next next West Montgomery story uh, tune, I think um, let, me, let me just give you a quick quick story here about back in college, me and four of my buddies two of whom I'm still listening to the 1001 albums you must hear before you die list okay. on our WhatsApp chat. We all decided to do a March Madness guitar challenge. Oh, cool. What, is that, what did that look so like? So we each picked six guitarists. Okay. And then there was two wild cards. So 32 total guitarists that we picked. Okay. So we made a bracket yeah. of, of, you know, 30, of, of yep. 32 guitarists. 32 shredders 
uh, pitted in a single elimination challenge. Wow. Just like March Madness for, for basketball. Got it. Yep. So you, we would each pick a song for the guitarist that we nominated uh, in the first round, and then for each matchup thereafter, if they made it to the next round, we'd, we'd pick another song. Okay. So we would listen. So we, you know, we do the. Were they paired up by genre or random? No, no. We we I forget how we seeded it. Okay. Um, but it basically ended up being kind of kind of a random, okay. uh, you know, seeding, and then they would just you know play each other. So we would listen to you know each one of us would play the song for the yeah. person that that we had nominated, and then the five of us would vote. So a three two majority would win. There were a lot of four ones though. There were even some five five zeros where you're like. The guy I picked just cannot hold up to the guy that you picked. Okay. So Wes was one of my six. And I'll get to that in a second with, with the song that I played for him. Uh, but the best part, though, or the funniest part, I should say, we wound up in the semifinals. And, you know, even though we were freshmen in college, you know, we've been drinking a few adult beverages as this went on. And, uh, you know, so everything's getting a little loose. And we make it to the semifinals, and it's Eric Clapton against Eddie Van Halen. Oh, wow. Now, okay. I would say, so Clapton was my, he was my top seed. Okay. So I picked the song from, I actually picked uh, a rousing version of Stormy Monday Blues that oh, he did. Beautiful. That I had on CD. Oh. With a solo that is just unbelievable. Now, my buddy Shatner, he also picked Clapton. So that was, we had two votes there. Okay. Eddie's song was Panama. That's, okay. that's what, uh, yep. it, was, yeah. it was either Joe or John, who, my, my two other friends from Jersey, one Joe, one John. Uh, they both voted for Eddie, of course. So it came down to our friend Tom. And it's it worth mentioning Eddie came in fourth. Eddie Van Halen's fourth on, right. on, on the 250 list. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. I know he's okay. high, okay. which back then I didn't regard him like that. So I still don't. I appreciate what he's done, but I'm surprised he's four. But anyway, go ahead. But so, yeah, it came down to our friend Tom for the tiebreaker. So while the other four of us, we were drinking beer pretty much. Tom was doing a little something, uh, a little harder, something called snake bite, which was whiskey with a lime cordial combination. So he was Ooh. a little further down the road <laughs> to inebriation than, than the other four of us. Okay. So I lobbied hard for Tom. Come on, you got to pick Clapton. He's the best. Uh, and and so to, the winner would go into the finals against Hendrix, which we all knew was a foregone conclusion anyways. But he looked at me and he said in his interesting state, Kevin, that guitar solo in Panama it spoke to me. Van Halen wins. I was bummed. But then, yeah, Hendrix ended up winning the whole thing. So we did a guitar challenge. That's really back, cool. Back in school. But Wes Montgomery was one of my six. In fact, he was probably my number two seed behind Clapton. So here is the song that did I played. Did they appreciate Wes as much as you? So he made it to the, se- uh, to the quarterfinals. He oh, made, he okay. made it, he made it two rounds. That's good. Yeah. Okay. A big reason was this song here. And I played this one in the first round. I love that you guys were able to be honest, like, and not just vote for the stuff you know yeah. or liked. The name of the song, by the way, is Four on Six. He's playing those octaves. I was just going to say, I'm shocked it's his thumb. And here's a solo. Top to display those octaves so like that. That's so crazy. You give me any of that hi hat like jazz with the guitar, right. you you got me. You you win. And he, I mean, he's just all over the place with this thing, just nailing it. 
perfect tone, perfect chops, perfect playing, perfect everything. So, needless to say, with that song, he won. He, I think he went up against Pearl Jam's guitarist. Wow! And he won five nothing in, wow. in the first round, no <laughs> That's problem. Cool. That's very cool. Um, yeah. You know, so Carlos Santana had said that Wes was one of the three most uh, important guitar influences on him in, in his guitar playing. Now, I think what's happened to Wes throughout the years, and, I th- and this actually happened a long time ago, um, that has made him more underrated than he should be, is that he switched from playing just kind of straight jazz to emulating and playing covers of popular songs at the time. You so mean in a jazz style? Or? It, yeah, so I'm, oh, I'm, I'm really? going to play one for you. Yep. Okay. And I think you're going to... I not, don't know any of that one. So you're not going to know this at first, but I think you'll, you'll end up picking it up. Okay. So far, I really like it, by the way. I have some vinyl, by the way. If you want. Do you? Yeah. Got the song? No, let me see if I can identify it. Home. Can you give me a hint? What year? It's from, it's from 1967. 68. It's one of your favorite bands. Actually, not one of your favorite bands. My favorite is the Beatles? Yep. Seriously, don't know it. I'm embarrassed to say. Can I seriously don't hear it? Oh, come on! No, kid. Is that crazy? That's go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. Go back to where? Go back to just, just go back like a minute. Are you serious? Or you want to go back here? Want to go back to the main part? Yeah, I want like the John Lennon singing part. All right, now I now I can pick it up. Wow, I, I didn't I didn't get it till the the Paul switch part after that. That's really cool. So this is called A Day in the Life by by the Beatles. Um, It's great. And Wes played this on his album, self-titled, called called A Day in the Life. Here's one other song he did on this. It's it's also kind of hard to pick out, but it's cool though, right? No, very cool. Once you hear, once you can sing it in your head, you can hear it. This like almost incorporates a little bit of like like Pasha Bell, like the from the wedding. Oh, Pasha Bell. Pasha Bell. Sorry. Yeah. Um, But it's not. You'll hear it in a second. Oh, yeah. when a man loves a woman. Yeah, that is it. Good job, Mike. When a man loves a woman. Yep. Yeah. So he didn't get really the uh, acclaim for this kind of stuff. No, so afterwards. I think what happened, I mean, it, it kind of moved him into, like somebody said, kind of the smooth jazz yeah. era. Like he was one of the, kind of the forefront of that. So went a little soft, I think. And that's why I, you know, he's not as well regarded. I think, at least personally, I feel that that's part of the reason. But I think we should always remember him. As you know, from those jazz times and that four on six and that unbelievable again, still only the thumb. I never knew great the thumb tone part. and just incredible, incredible prowess. So I'm going to ask part. another uninformed question here. So we brought up Eddie Van Halen, uh-huh. right? Can he get away with more than like Wes could, right? 
you hear like how clean his guitar is there. Right. When you're a little more distorted or even like a Pearl Jam, right, where it's grungy. Right. Can you get away with messing up a little more or is it still, do you still have to be that technically proficient? So I know, what you're, I know what you're saying. It, it, it's kind of like if you're going to sing a song really fast, you don't hear the tone as much as in a slow song because sure. you're much more focused, right? Yeah. There's a little bit of that. However, everyone at that level, like Eddie is, Van Halen, is, is perfect. perfect. Yes. Okay. Yes. But for the people that are playing at the local bars, right. yes, okay. the distortion and the grunge allows them to be a little bit less accurate because you can get away with a lot more. Okay. Yes. Absolutely correct. So just again, my final thing to say on Wes, I will always remember him playing like this. Oh, it's awesome. And why I think he's one of the top 10 guitarists of all time. So that's Wes Montgomery. Jason. That's phenomenal. You're up. Okay. That's well done, Kev. That's, that's one thumb. I, I, I'm, oh, I'm shocked. One thumb. I'm Seems shocked. Impossible. All right. Uh, my second um, pick is a person that we have talked about no less than three times so far on this podcast. Michael McDonald? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you no, thought, no. Not, not on the podcast as a series, but on this particular podcast episode. And that is Carlos Santana. Now, I know that he is not uh, a low-rated guitarist because they do have him at number 11. But I'm going to make the claim that for him to not be in the top 10 is an absolute sin. And I really want to use him as an opportunity to showcase what I think uh, is, is most important to me for a guitarist, and that is passion, feel, and tone. What the tone sounds like. Now, we talked a little bit about the tone of a guitar when we talked about Jerry Garcia, definitely with Metallica, right? You, right. you would know, and, 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 and everyone to think of the guitarists we played, not so much my John Lennon, just because he's a lot more rhythm, but you would know each one of the guitarists, even Wes Montgomery, who it is. Distinct. You would, very distinct tone. Okay. I, I will go to my deathbed with saying nobody, even if you had the same, if you picked up his instrument, could make the guitar sound the way that Carlos Santana makes it sound. Yeah, I mean, to me, only Jerry's the only one that even comes close to how distinct, um, you know, guitar playing is. I, I will agree with you. Anytime you hear Santana, one hundred percent, you know that's who it is. All right, I'm gonna do this again. Are you gonna play for us again? Yeah, All right. oh, yeah. Just to show one thing. Okay, I'm really gonna play the same notes in the scale that he plays, and then I'm gonna play the difference. We're just playing through literally the same equipment. So we talked about the modes. When we did the podcast on Santana's first album, which is called Santana, right. we talked about the Dorian mode, yes. which Santana is pretty much uh, as, as um, linked to as Jerry Garcia would be to Mixolydian. Okay. Santana is actually the Dorian mode. So in this particular song, we're going to do the D minor. So it's D Dorian. So these notes... Um, the biggest thing with the Dorian mode, especially in D Dorian, it's just the exact same notes as the C major scale. Okay. But played over a minor D. So, same notes. Uh, it adds that E. That E. The way that he accentuates, is, is I think it has to do with who he is and the passion that he has. He, he'll even play this little BB um, King box. 
But the way that he does it, I'm going to play it for you, and then I'm going to actually play it on the song. It's just... Now, I can play those notes. We're playing on the same stuff, the same instruments, but I can't get the same feel, the same passion, and the same texture. So when I do it, it sounds like that. When he does it, it sounds like this. I mean, that, just that little bend. Just pause there for just a second. The way he holds a note a little bit longer than it should, and then he rushes into the second by which a little bit of a slide. Everything, if you were to chart it out, it would just be those notes there. Oh, I'm playing, let's say, from a D to a C or whatever. The, 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 the. But the way that he does it, how he gets between notes, whether it's a little... Uh, a little slower or a little quicker, there's just a style to it that only he has. And I've never seen anyone, any guitarist, sound and do exactly what he does. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. And there's nothing, you know, you can run guitars and, you know, through different like, like wah-wah pedals yep. or, or other, you know, distortion or, or, or sound changing, tone changing sort of things. Yes. But he doesn't do that, right? No. This is just him. Yeah. So he, uh, in the beginning during the recording of these songs, played uh, a Gibson SG, so an, ele- an electric uh, Gibson guitar, yep. um, through just a regular amp, nothing crazy, either Marshalls or even Fenders. I've seen him use both. Um, then he used Paul Reed Smith guitars, and he kind of really helped them to become the guitar company that they are right. to this day, just because he swore by them and, and famously used them so often. But it isn't any special effects pedal, and there are tons of pedals to buy. It's not necessarily uh, the tone, but it's just how he makes it sound like him like it's i i I think he is coming through the guitar that's the way i look at it and yes i know he's highly rated on the list but there's no one else in my opinion that does a better job conveying his inner soul through the instrument itself for me what what number was he on the list 11 which i know is really high and to say he's underrated isn't fair but if you're if you're gonna make a list of people that can do uh, uh, you know, outrageously remarkable things with a guitar. I, I just don't know of any other guitarist that does exactly that. Bring out his inner self through the guitar. It sounds Latin to mm-hmm. me. It sounds it um, passionate and and just like the songs themselves. The guitar sounds like that. I can tell. Does you, that make sense? I would put him ahead of Joni Mitchell at number nine. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, totally agree. Uh, let me give you a couple of other examples. So I'm going to play a song that is not a guitar song until he starts playing, and that's this one. This is Oye Como Va. I know you know this song. Yep. But it's... it's is, is this like a traditional song that yeah, he then... Tito Puente okay, did yeah, it originally. It was, it's a Latin song, but... The other thing, and the reason why I picked this song is because... This is not a hard song to play. Mike, I could teach you this song in less than an hour. These notes are not hard. That's debatable. No, no, I'm I'm being serious. No, listen (laughs) to me. It is not hard. His solo is a little complicated, but these little beginning notes are not difficult at all. But you can't play it the way that he plays it. Nobody can. And that's what makes it special. And I think that's what makes a good guitarist. 
is that there's something that only that person can do because anyone can pick up the instrument, but they can't sound like that. It's just like a vocalist, right? Yeah. I mean, I can sing something and not sound ever close to what Frank great. Sinatra is. That's right. It's, that's, a, that's a great example. And then, as you know, one of my absolute favorites ones, and I've played it before on this podcast series a couple of different times, is Soul Sacrifice. This is off of Santana's first album. Let me get to his part here. The drums are really good in this, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know I asked you this when we did the podcast, but would you absolutely know that that's Carlos Santana? 100%. Okay, that's, that's my point. And that's all I really want to say He might say have the it. most distinguishable sound. Uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely up there, and that's why I think he needed to be in the top 10. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to say about him, you know what? I will say this while I go out with this song. Again, the notes he picks are not difficult. It's how he makes them sound. This call this is called Europa. Alright, I mentioned that he um, helped really develop Paul Reed Smith guitars mm-hmm. and uh, PR he put PRS on the map. Also, he helped launch Mesa Boogie, the amp company. Oh wow. And he played a lot of his later stuff, like the um, the smooth album that he did yeah. uh, with Rob Thomas. He played himself. Yeah, that, that whole thing, which won him Grammys uh, for that. Um, he incorporated the culture, his culture, into his music, similar to what Miles Davis or B.B. King did with some of their music. Santana is an instrumentalist who I think can be identified with just one note. You know immediately that it's him. Yep. Yep. That's all I wanted to say. So that's my second pick, Carlos Santana. Good choice. Mikey, you're up. All right. I'm going back to my childhood for my second pick here. Okay. I was around 11 years old when I ran into this uh, guitarist, or at least knew of him. It was my buddy Mike, who was actually a couple years younger than me. And he was this little punk kid because both of his kids worked and he had plenty of free time after school. So we'd go to his house and we'd get into trouble. Uh, he burned my hair on accident with a can of WD-40 <laughs> and a lighter, which uh, Sweet Wait, Lorraine, our that. mother, was not too pleased with. <laughs> no, I remember I, that. I wasn't allowed to hang out with him for a while after I that. I do remember that. Oh, no way. Uh, we also had a couple Coronas in his treehouse in elementary <laughs> wait, school. Wait, wait, in elementary school? Oh, yes. <laughs> and I smoked my first cigarette with him, which he picked up off the street <laughs> and we shared together. Oh, no, no, wait, hang on. You were smoking basically cigarette butts is what you guys yes, were smoking. Yes, correct. Yeah. Correct. Oh my gosh. Uh, he's now a really successful straight-laced finance guy living in Europe, but uh, it was at his house in 1988, 1999 that I first heard this album, and it was the first rock album I listened to cover to cover, or tape, okay. front to back. So I'm going to play <laughs> you the song first, and then I'll get into, you'll, you'll know right away. Okay. Oh yeah. Wow. Good. Good pick. Great pick. Again, he's in a great band, which helps. Yeah. Yeah, but that that's an iconic yeah. guitar riff. Yep. Totally. Iconic. Still let it kick in. 
really glad you did this one because I have a lot of questions. I know some things about him, but I don't know enough. Okay. Yeah. So, that is Welcome to the Jungle off of the album Appetite for Destruction. Yes. Yep. Huge, huge hit. Uh, the, the album was a huge hit. Yeah. And it just, I think it changed the way I look at music. Do you, was, oh, you was, say that? It was really? that big of a deal for me. Again, I listened, I knew every song on that tape. Yeah. It was, that this song isn't explicit, but they had a lot of explicit songs on there, you know, that I shouldn't have been listening to as a elementary school kid, even but hey, fifth grade. listen, you were drinking Coronas and smoking cigarettes. Seriously, right, yeah. So right, why, why right. couldn't you listen to a couple bad words? Wait, I, have, I have a question for you about that, though. Yes. Would another rock album of the same style have done the same thing because it was new to you? Or do you think this was so uh, monumental of an of a work that it hit you in a way that you were like, this is a game changer for I me? I think it was that monumental. I think they were that big that, you know, they stood out from... I agree with you, by the way. They stood out from the hair I, I agree of, with you. of the time. So Mike had said he'd never played guitar. Yeah. But was this album the reason you had a guitar? I did have an we lived in guitar. Pittsburgh. Yes. And was this album the reason you asked for it for I, Christmas I that think year? It, I think it was a big reason really? that I got the guitar. Wow. I never learned. I, I messed around. Were you a left-handed bit. like your brother? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the man behind those amazing strings yes. is by the name of Saul Hudson. <laughs> Better known by his stage name of Slash. <laughs> yeah. And great. my my beef is particularly with Rolling Stone. And he is the one that I mentioned went down over 40 spots from wow. the 2003 poll. He's now at number 106. Wow. Is it that low? He did not break the top 100. What? Holy smokes. And, you know, there's a couple other, you know, uh, guitar type list where, where he's higher but Rolling Stone had him not breaking the top 100 that's crazy 105 105 105 it's hard to say he's underrated in general everyone knows Slash he's extremely you know well known people hear Slash they know right away yes who is, almost like Santana yes um, his, his style but his is look, very his, his style his look, yeah, yeah, his yeah, style, yeah. His sound. I think people that don't even know what instrument he plays knows who he is right right he's he's he's, he's a, a caricature no that's not the right way to say it he wore the top hat yeah. he had the hair over his face yeah. all you could see yeah. was like his mouth basically just this crazy character in this huge band and uh, just bigger than life kind of guy yep and so I'm just gonna let unless Kev no no no, no. Go ahead. I'm just gonna let his playing do the talking okay. for me yeah uh, off the same album and you know it's a little bit slower of a song ballady almost but still got this great guitar from slash and you'll know this one right away as well that, i mean that riff that one is iconic too yeah yeah i mean i think this is in guitar hero and no right. yeah like, I have to think, like, what other album has two absolute iconic star sure, guitar So true. Only, like, maybe a Zeppelin album? Man, that's awesome. So good. I love that intro. Yeah, that's awesome. So again, I, I mean, I could play five more songs from this album. Yes, with Slash. Just I thought you were gonna these. play there. I thought you were gonna play the lead from November Rain. That's where I'm going next. Oh, 
I'm I'm just going to I'm going to start and then I'm going to get to a solo. Okay. Of this next song. Okay. Because it's so good. This is a long song, Kevin. Almost nine minutes. <laughs> Love it. I had this on cassette. I'm gonna go straight to a solo. It's, it's that good. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's undeniably slash. Yeah. So good. So good. It's a great pick. I I don't think he deserves to be as low as he is. You know, you picked, by the way, you picked very two similar guitar sounding the, picks. This is my style. I like I like the hard stuff. We when you about think of guitar, do you think metal? of this? Yes. I, th- yeah. I think of electric. I think of hard. Uh, don't get me wrong. I appreciate the acoustic stuff. Sure. Um, you know, I talk about running so much on here, but... This is the stuff I listen yeah, to. Yeah. You know, it's the faster beats. It's the, you know, just heavy energy stuff that that gets me going. Yeah, and it really just gives me that adrenaline. And to me, it's almost soothing, right? Oh, okay, it's, wow. It's like yeah, contradictory, but it's it's just that's how the mood it puts me in. Oh, I like that. Okay, so. Kev, what not, do you, not what to do you, pick on Joni Mitchell, but I think he should be above her as well for well, sure. Well, I, what I was gonna say um, is. So uh, some of the people that are ahead of him, slash, uh, I wanted to bring up the fact that number eighty-eight was Kurt Cobain. Now, right. he is a guitar player. Yes. He is not a player, though. Right. He's not a guitarist. Does do you guys feel similar to that? I mean, am, am I wrong in that? Well, again, I'm not a Nirvana fan, so I'm probably not the best person to answer that. But I, I, I I can't remember a great like Kurt Cobain like guitar. Song that I right okay was awesome. He's I mean, he's twenty spots ahead of Slash, right? And I I like Cobain. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think he's in the same you know league right. as as Slash as a guitarist, right? right? But I mean, yeah. if, okay, as a songwriter and as uh, you know, as an influencer, certainly to what music. he did to music, sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I think that's right. what gets him up there. Okay, but go ahead, Mikey. Go ahead. So no, that's it. That's that's my pick. My number two pick. I think it's Slash. a great pick. I, I think it's I think a great he pick. Should be well above. Well into the top 100, probably even the top 20. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Kevin, I wanted to mention a couple of other things about the list uh, that applied to you. Uh, number 33 was Brian May. I think that's a little Queen. low. You're big, big, big I, Brian I think May he, fan? He's, he's got some really amazing chops. I, Queen is a band that I'm not nearly as familiar with okay. as, as some others. Joe Pass, who we've talked about, didn't make the list. Oh, yeah, Joe Pass. That's right. Yeah. Which I thought was was pretty interesting, uh, and also your buddy Stephen Stills at one forty, definitely low, right? I did in not in that same folky area, and and remember as, he was also very bluesy too. Yeah, I I just found that to be a little bit. And uh, lastly, number one thirty, Joe Walsh. 
That's see, he was easily the best. Was there an eagle ahead of him? No. Please tell me there was not an eagle ahead no, of him. No, no. Because he's easily the best right. of that band. Right. No, there isn't. But I, I just, I'm shocked he was as low as he was. Kev. Yep. You're up. All right. All right, gentlemen. This is my third and final guitarist here of the night. Jason, like I said, you mentioned him earlier, so I'm going to play this. I know you'll know who this is. Mike, I'm sure you will, too. Unfairly low, unfairly low, ridiculously low. She broke down, let me in. You know who it is, Mike? Um, it's Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood yep. Mac, yep. You know who the guitarist is. He's also singing right now. Made me see where I've been. Lindsay Buckingham. There you go. You got it. Nice you job. got it. So. I love this song, Kev, so much. It's a great song. The name of the song is Never Going Back Again. It's off their 1977 album called Rumors. Um, Are you going to talk about the fact that Peter Green of Fleetwood Mac is ranked higher than him? Or no? Well, I'm not going to, but I wouldn't dispute him Oh, you wouldn't? Oh, wow. Maybe I need to learn more than about Fleetwood Mac, because I... Don't know him being a better guitarist than Lindsey Buckingham. Well, and I've threatened a, a Fleetwood Mac podcast you have. for a long you have. time. Yeah, we need to do that. And then. I, I'm, okay. I'm going to do one, so okay. I'm not. Gonna, okay. I won't talk about that in this one. Fair enough. Okay, just to let you know, Lindsey's very close to my top ten. Peter Green might be in my top ten. Oh wow. So, okay. All right. We'll, we'll get we'll get to that at another we'll episode. Leave it at that. Okay. But again, that's that's never going back again from rumors. That's the great Lindsey Buckingham. So he's at 110, as you mentioned earlier. Yes. That's, first of all, crazy to me. Um, I get that, again, all this is, is subjective. One thing with me, too, is that when I first started playing guitar, this is back in college, I, um, I was a finger picker. That, that's how I started. Okay. I was in a Spanish guitar class in oh, college. Oh, no kidding. So that's how I learned. And so I, I really appreciate people that can do the finger picking like wow. that. Just like Wes Montgomery, again, uh, Lindsay doesn't use uh, use any sort of pick, and he was a big guy of Travis style. So that that's kind of how he started. Which Travis style is where you play the three bass strings, which are the three top strings, with your thumb, and then the bottom three strings you're going to pick with your index through your ring fingers. So I continued to play the Travis style even when I left college and took lessons, you know, post then. So definitely have a soft spot soft spot for it. And Buckingham is probably one of the greatest finger pickers I think in history. Plus, as you well know, Jason, I love arpeggios, and I know we've thrown that uh, around here a lot, just to let the listeners who may be new, who haven't heard that before, uh, basically that is taking the notes of a chord, and instead of strumming them all together, you play them individually. And so finger picking lends itself so well to playing arpeggios. Did you learn about arpeggios in the Spanish guitar class? I, 100%. Okay, I was going to yep. say, maybe that's where the genesis of all that came There you from. go. Okay, cool. There you go. So, uh, Lynch, he mentioned in an interview with Talk Music about a decade ago, that he only uses a pick when he needs like a crisp chord during a studio recording. Oh, wow. And he did say that um, his finger picking will vary a little bit as well. So in this next song I'm going to play, so I'm just playing two from him. I played uh, you know, the, that, that first one. And then let's go ahead and go to this song where he varies it a little bit to get a better bass line that he wanted. And I got to tell you, I don't know if anybody is finger picking better than this next song. And this is live, by the way, too. Oh, wow. The name of the song is called Big Love. 
and this is off the album The Dance, which again they recorded live back in the late 90s. How about that tone? That That's cool. something, right? Super trebly. And that, that's him singing to No, I don't know how. Oh God, wait, how is he that low? So freaking hard. So remember what we just heard. There is nobody else playing on that song, even though it's the full band, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, he's the only one doing anything there. All of that yeah, is him yeah. on the guitar and him singing. That's so that cool. So all full. the sound, yeah, the, like like the full sound that he's getting out of that, unbelievable. So I I think part of what maybe has made him underrated is that he's a great vocalist. He had a great voice. You just heard it there. Yep. Uh, also, he's a terrific songwriter. Help lift Fleetwood Mac up from, you know, to the, to the most popular band on the planet, which they certainly weren't when Peter Green was fronting them, as much as I like Peter Green. And then he and his girlfriend, Stevie Nicks, you know, they wrote and performed many of the songs on Rumors and then the self-titled record, which came right before it. And their on and off love affair was a big part of the overall story, I think, for Fleetwood Mac. His guitar playing, though, for most listeners, you know, it, it, it took a backseat, I think, to all this. And that's why... Um, I don't think he gets you know the recognition that he deserves. But let's go a little further here so you can hear some of the solo stuff and how good he is. That's one guitar. That's I was going to say, that's just him? Yep, it's just him. That's amazing. That's insane. One guitar. That's awesome. That's so, so cool. Let me, let's take it to the finish here. So move just a little bit further along, and we'll finish up Lindsay. Just, just getting all the sound. That's incredible. I that was that, recorded live when? That was live. Yeah. It was late 90s. It was, the name of the album was The Dance. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, of but, course, of course. Yeah, they, and they did, I think, like on VH1, a whole special about it. And, oh, know, my they, gosh. They showed the whole thing. Okay. But I think just that song alone yeah. goes to show how incredible a guitarist that is. You don't need was. to do more than that. There you go. All right. I'm going to basically piggyback off of what you just did and say I'm going to pick my next person and my last person I'm going to do tonight. Um off of one song. I was going to showcase three, but I'm only going to do the one because of what you just did. Because I think the okay. one the one says it enough. Yep. Again, I didn't pick somebody that was low ranked per se, but uh, this person was ranked 96. And for me, I'm going to say top 10 for sure, probably top five personally, and that is Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits. Yeah. Yep. What he does, you want to talk about finger picking? He never uses a pick. What he does blows my mind every time. I've heard his songs, and the song that I'm going to play tonight is one of my favorite songs, and that is Sultans of Swing. I've heard that song, it's in the hundreds of times, 
And every time I hear something new and I'm still fascinated and blown away by what he can do. I, I can't believe it. Do you know Mark Knopfler, Mikey? Uh, I, I mean, know I, you do from... I know Dire the, Straits. I know Salt in the Swing. Okay. I, yeah, I would have known his name. I'm going to say a couple of things on the guitar real quick. Okay, first of all, no pick. So... On Sultans of Swing, everything's done with just finger picking in very much in the Travis style. Yep. But specific to him, I want to talk about two things on this song. One is all the little licks and embellishments after every phrase of the song that he's singing, no less, he sings and plays at the same time, are fascinating to me because there's no mode, there's no specific chordal structure. The, the the tones that he gets out of each of uh, of those little riffs are just incredible to me. The second and, and I'll, I'll showcase a couple here. So he'll do, for example, these little runs between each of the passages that he says link each each of the chords together. They're not just like pentatonic scales. They're not the chromatic scales. They're just all these different things and each one is different. Second thing I want to say about the song is the way in which he plays is not just picking with his hand. He also picks with the left hand, the chord making hand. Oh, wow. So in other words, when he picks from here, he's also moving with his left hand off the chord that he was playing and in, in a way grabbing the string again. So almost like using both hands to pick the strings at the same time. So instead of it's you see what I mean? So now it's it, tough yeah. to it's tough to explain without actually being without able to seeing see it, it. Ver- visually. Am I does it, that make sense? I mean it, Kind of like a pull off, but even even exactly. more so because he's almost strumming the exactly. Whole. It's not gotcha. just lifting off; it's actually pulling and grabbing the string again, as if he's um, strumming it with the left hand that is playing the chord. So it's now again. I can't do any justice in comparison to him. So when you add his tone, which we're playing the same guitar, he plays a Fender Strat, literally the same guitar, literally the same amp, but again, because when he does it, it sounds like this. Classic. It's unbelievable to me every time I hear it. So here's the first sentence. One note. Second sentence. Another riff. Third sentence. Another riff. None of them are ever the same. Now, I would be doing a disservice if I didn't say you have to uh, really listen to each one of those riffs themselves and understand just how difficult each one of them are because none of them are repeated but i have to go to there's two solos in the song the first solo is this which i happen to like even better than the last solo but it starts like this gets me every time 
it's such as like a flourish to this. Right? There's just it's something awesome. unique about it. And even when he talks about to hear the jazz go down, there's that lyric that's in there. The riff that he plays after it is a two five one jazz lick. <laughs> like all the little things are so important and it's just amazing. And of course I gotta play the last lead, which is uh, I don't know, iconic. Oddly not as difficult as the first solo, right. but everyone thinks it is just because it's that trill, that little, that, that sounds hard to do. Don't get me wrong, it's not easy, but. It's just, it's just incredible. Um, I want to say a couple of things about Mark Knopfler before we go, which is, um, I think he deserves at least some recognition for having some of the greatest riffs of the 80s and early 90s. Sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the powerful guitar stuff that he had was, was, was amazing. But what a lot of people don't know is after Dire Straits, he really went solo and did a lot of his individual album work and became so engrossed with specifically guitar tone and what guitars were best for which Songs almost steely Dan like pedantic, right? Uh, uh, outrageously detailed, R- really, really focusing in, yeah. And so, he would have certain guitars for certain songs, and he would have them played through certain amps. Maybe uh, he, he felt like um, a song was reminiscent of uh, Gaelic uh, or, or Irish music, he'd use an Irish made amp. Maybe yeah. he thought it was uh, an old 50s style tune, so he would use. A 1954 original Stratocaster played through a 1950s original Fender amp. Okay. He was true to the style of what he thought the song needed, and became, um, you know, uh, just really, excuse me, became really serious about uh, trying to explore ex- exactly that. And he was masterful. Well, and you know, uh, one of the biggest things he did, at least I, that I think he did, outside of Dire Straits, he did the Princess Bride soundtrack. Kevin, I never knew that. Yep. Oh, no way. Go, so go back now and watch Princess Bride or listen to the stuff and you'll <laughs> never realize knew that. that's Knopfler. No kidding. Yep. No kidding. Well, I will do that. If you get a chance to go through through Sultans of Swing, just each one of those little licks, I can't believe how perfect they are. Nice. So I've, I've heard that song at least dozens of times. Right. I have a new appreciation for it now. Yeah, after, after seeing yeah. what you did, hearing what you did, yeah. and then hearing him do it, it's just... It, there's a few it's videos amazing. of him doing it live, okay. Um, uh, which I will urge you to watch because when you watch him do it and sing it at the same time, it's even more impressive. It's really amazing. Cool. Yeah, love it. All right, that's it, Mikey. Do you have another one? I'm I'm done. You're done, Kev. Do you want to take us out there? I'm, gonna I'm take, done. I'm going to take you out. Okay. All right, Kev. What do you got for us? All right. So I'm going to take us out here today on a song that I never thought I'd have to play. Oh. And the reason is again when I first thought about this podcast and, and doing this podcast, it was all about Jerry Garcia being underrated, not knowing the Rolling Stone list yet. Oh, really? Yes. Just that I didn't think Jerry got, got, got the his credit full due. he did. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. And so when I found the list and saw him at 34, again, thought that was criminally low. However, the person that is one spot above him, or, you know, lower than him, I should say. Okay. At number so 30, worse. He worse than you. Okay. At number thirty-five, I was shocked because never would I think that I would have to play this guy as an underrated guitarist. Yeah. So let me go ahead and play the song here. Okay. <laughs> 
So this is from a band called uh, John Mile and the Blues Breakers. Mike, do you, do you know who the lead guitarist was in this band? I do not. Let's listen again. A little bit. So this wait, guy's. Wait, what year is this? 1966. Okay, 1965. He is an absolute titan, a titan of guitar. I'm sure I'll know his name. When and you, you know what? He'd be my number two, behind Jimmy. He's my number two as well. He's a two or three. It depends on how I feel about Santana at the time. So there were people that were scrawling on the um, on the London Underground his name, saying that this guy is God. Yeah. 99% of people who have listened to and know music would know that this guy is a top 10 guitarist at a minimum. And Rolling Stone on this one I decided think, to put him at number 35. I think it's a little politically motivated. I was just gonna say, I, I, hey, listen, this is, this is not a political podcast, so I won't get into it. I, I also think it's like, they're, they're, um, let's throw one out there just to piss everyone off. Right. This 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 is makes this, no sense. This is worse than Joni Mitchell at nine. Yeah, agreed. So turn it up a little bit. The guy playing this, this is Eric Clapton. Wow. Yeah. At number 32? Or 35? 30, no. 35. Let's, we can do a whole other podcast uh, just For on sure. For sure. So that's His it. licks, his tone, his style, his passion, his everything. He is the guitar guy. He is the guy. Right. And, and, and Dwayne Allman's probably my favorite guitarist. They were best friends, and they both thought the other one was better. Right. Like, I, I don't know what to say. I don't... I, even if you didn't like his music, you would be able to know he's an unbelievable guitarist. Yep. So that's it for me. Oh, it's so good. All right. Well, then, with that bombshell of a shocker, we will say thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.